We come back to Malachi today. After a period of time away for Advent and a couple of special emphases, and now we're back in the book of Malachi in chapter 2, beginning in verse 10 in just a moment. You know, it's, it's always interesting when you come to think about, and, and I, I appreciate Jeff pray, uh, playing and sing, uh, singing those songs like Great Is Thy Faithfulness, because that's what this passage deals with, is our faithlessness and his faithfulness in the midst of that. But I'm always uh, amazed at, at uh, how, you know, we, we typically don't think that children are listening in service very often, or observant very much uh, in the services. I had a Sunday school teacher uh, tell me last Sunday that they were studying a particular name of God, and they were talking about how you can, you know, you can try to be like someone, but you can't be that person. And they had somebody dress up in a navy blazer. I don't have one on today for a reason. Uh, a navy blazer, a bow tie, and, uh, and tried to, to be me. And evidently they started asking questions about what I did. And they would talk about some of my mannerisms in the pulpit, how I would drink water, you know, from time to time, or maybe walk over here, walk over there. And uh, they really were very observant. But the one that caught me most off guard was the one who said, and as soon as the sermon's over, he reaches down, he takes his whole glass of water, he drinks it down, and he turns the glass upside down and puts it back on the coaster. That won't happen again. <laughs> but there's a lot of observance by young people, sometimes more so perhaps than by adults. The thing Malachi is concerned about in this passage of Scripture is the people of God being observant to their relationship with one another. As a matter of fact, up until now, Malachi has primarily dealt with the fact that they have been egregious in their attitude toward God, that they had brought sacrifices that were lame and, and not perfect to the altar and expected God to accept those. And so Malachi said, why don't you try to give those to your governor, try to pay your taxes with that, see if the governor will take it. And, and, of course, the implication was you'd be laughed right out of, the, out of the paying your taxes with that kind of thing, and yet you bring it to God. And other ways that the people were just not being faithful in their walk with the Lord, they were not being observant in their walk with the Lord. In the passage today, uh, is dealing with the covenant relationship still, but it changes the focus from the relationship of, of the individuals to God, the people to God, to their relationship to one another within the covenant. You see, the covenant relationship is, is begun by that covenant with God, a covenant of redemption, a covenant of, of forgiveness. And the new covenant that, that Pastor Todd read about uh, early in the, in the hearing of the word section of our service this morning, you know, that new covenant is established by God, whereby we will know him and we'll be his people and he'll be our God. He'll put his law upon our hearts. And I I couldn't help but think of that passage when I was reading that, that lyrics from Lecrae earlier where he said, you know, I, I, I kept on doing things that I knew were wrong. I knew internally they were wrong. And, and, and that's because if you're, if you're a child of God, you have the law of God written on your hearts and on your minds, and, and you have the Spirit of God indwelling you. And when you choose to walk in sin, the, the Holy Spirit will always call you to repentance. 
will always make you know that what you're doing is not right. Now, if you can walk in sin and enjoy sin and live in sin and not think anything about it, then there's a reason to worry about your relationship with God because God says he will always call his people in disciplinary fashion to repentance before him. He'll always do that if we really belong to him. And, and so in this passage, Malachi is concerned that the people are not caring for one another as they ought to. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, where we'll start in a minute, he says, why do you deal treacherously with each other against his brother and profane the covenant of our fathers? Another translation says, you know, that why then are we faithless to one another profaning the covenant of our fathers? Why, if you are in Christ, are you not treating one another as brothers and sisters? Why, if you are in Christ, are you not desiring fellowship? John said in 1 John that, you know, if, you, if you're in Him, you'll love the brethren, and you'll love the brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're in Him, why are you not caring about your brothers and sisters that are hurting? Why are you not doing, as Paul said to the Roman Christians, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, coming alongside and caring? Well, that was the problem with the with the, the children of Israel the, in this particular passage, that's the problem that Malachi is wanting to deal with and talks about. Typically in this passage, the, the only verse that really gets a whole lot of traction uh, comes down, and, and many times I think it's overused and many times misused, is verse 16, where Malachi say, uh, quotes God saying, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Fairly emphatic, fairly strong statement in the New American Standard Translation, as in King James. Not all translations translate that verse that way. But I do want you to see, before I even read this passage for our consideration today, that it does say, even in these translations, for God says, I hate divorce, but he does not say, I hate the divorcee. Or I hate the person who has entered into a divorce. We'll talk about that a little later in this message, or, or next Sunday, depending on how far I get on the other things. But that's an important thing to remember. Uh, Scripture makes it clear there are reasons. And we'll talk about that. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 10. I want you to hear Malachi's concern for the way they're treating one another and what's taking place there. It's all about covenant. When people join our church, we ask them to submit to a covenant. Uh, they, if they're, in, they they're already in covenant with God by virtue of their new birth, but we ask them to come into this fellowship in a covenant. I may have to revisit the covenant in a sermon in a few weeks to, to help us think more about that covenant to one another. But hear what Malachi says. Do we not all have one father? Has, he not, has not one God created us? Then why do we deal treacherously against each against his brother so as to protect profane the covenant of our fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. Sanctuary, the place of worship, the presence of the Lord. Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he, that is God, loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers, or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. This is another thing you do. 
You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, what reason? For what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But it is not, but, but not one who has done so, who has a remnant of the Spirit. And, and what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit, and do not deal treacherously, literally with one another. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? There's several things that Malachi really focuses in on here that I want you to see. They do center around divorce. They do center around breaking a covenant. And in God's word, always through from, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, the concept of covenant is an important concept to God. He takes seriously those who would break a covenant, whether it's the covenant with him or the co- in the old, co- old covenant or, or the covenant between man and wife in, in the marriage covenant and marriage relationship. It, it does grieve him. It does disturb him. It does concern him when that covenant has been made and yet it's broken. When I counsel with young couples, some of them are sitting in here this, this morning and others are at other places, I, I talk about the concept that this is a covenant relationship you're entering into. I know you're going to go to the courthouse, you're going to get a license, and you're going to sign those licenses, and you're going to view that somewhat as a contract, that, that I'm contracting with you to be married to you, and you're contracting with me to be married to me, and, and we've got this contractual relationship going. But I want them to understand that this, this relationship called marriage is not something that the state came up with. They found a way to tax it and benefit from it, and in some ways, it's good to be regulated in that way. But the, co- the concept of marriage is not a legal document. The concept of marriage is not the state being involved in it and defining what it is. The state does not have the power or the right to define what marriage is, but God does. And God says, this is a covenant that is made. And it's a covenant made between man and woman, a man and a woman, in which God is a is a valid partner and a valid part of that covenant relationship. It is a covenant made before God and witnesses to one another. You'll hear a pastor say that. You'll hear me say that in a a wedding ceremony. You're standing here before God and these witnesses. And I will tell the, the congregation at the end of a wedding ceremony, I'll say, listen, You're here today as friends and family of the bride and groom, but you're here as far, far much more. 
You're here as witnesses to a covenant. You're here as witnesses to God's work being done in this man and this woman's life. You're here as witnesses to this covenant relationship. And as such, I challenge you to do all you can in your power to help this marriage stay strong, help this marriage stay faithful, help this marriage stay what God intends her to be. I encourage you as witnesses to pray for this couple. Because we take marriage seriously because God takes marriage seriously. Now Malachi says there's this problem going on in that you've profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. That is, you're coming into the place of worship, but the problem is you're coming in and you're living one way in here and you're living another way out there. That's always a concern for the people of God. We're always called to be faithful to what we believe. We're always called to live in a godly way out there and not just act like we're living in a godly way in here, aren't we? We talk about that. One of the greatest charges against the church is what? By the world. It's filled with hypocrites. It's hypocrisy. Yeah, you go in, you sing, you, you pray, you, you do all these things, and then you go out and you look just like everybody else. That was what Lecrae was talking about. I can't believe I've referred to him three times now in this sermon. Uh, that Lecrae was talking about in that song, that, that rap. Don't call it a song. It's a rap. Uh, and uh, it, it's a thing that he was talking about. You know, he was, he was confessing one thing, but he was living another way. It's always a concern with the Lord. It's always a concern that his bride, tonight in our mine and Todd's class, we'll be talking about being married to Christ, the bride. And this is good background material for that lesson tonight if you're in that class, so listen carefully. There may be a test. But he says, you're, you're profaning the sanctuary of the Lord in that you're living one way out there, you're coming in and living another way here, or talking another way here. Now, now I want to be honest with you here. There's a lot of hyperbole in that among the world. You know, there's, there's a lot of hyperbole that the world says, oh, they're just this way or that way. And they do that to cover up their own sin. I was, I was, I was reading a book review this past week. I haven't read the book yet, but I think I will, by a sociologist by the name of Bradley Wright. And, and the title of his book, I love the title of his book. The title of his book is, Christians are hate-filled hypocrites and other lies you've been told. And, and basically he deals with seven lies about the church. One kind of fits in with this. Myth number one, the divorce rate among Christians is as high as that among unbelievers. The reality, he says, Christians have a significantly lower divorce rates than the religiously unaffiliated. Furthermore, the more regularly a Christian attends the church, attends church, the less likely that pattern is to divorce. That person is to divorce. I like myth number two. It doesn't relate to the sermon, but let me just give you a couple of them anyway. Christian young people are leaving the Christian faith in record numbers. It's not true. All the studies show it's true that younger people are less affiliated with church than older people, but that's the case in every generation since scholars began tracking it. We always need to help the next generation connect with the church. So I'm so grateful for our children and our students, student ministry here because they are... They are constantly thinking about helping our young people and our children see the church as, su as such an important thing and connect to it in a way that's not just, oh, what mom and dad did. 
Third myth, the majority of American evangelicals are poor and uneducated. Washington Post said that. But the truth of the matter is, majority could be replaced perhaps with many, but on the average, evangelical Christians are as well educated as mainline Protestants, Catholics, and other religious affiliations. Myth number four, the prayer life of American evangelicals is diminishing. Turns out the prayer life of evangelicals is on the increase, according to surveys done. 75% of evangelicals today say they pray on a daily basis. In 1980, uh, that was only 64%, so 75 compared to 64 and you go on and on. I won't deal with the other myths, but the point I want to say is, is there is some reality, but there can be a hyperbole in presenting the reality that, that sounds a lot worse, and it's done that way for the simple reason of trying to discourage Christianity. But there is a problem. There, there is a problem, and Malachi recognizes it, that we ought to be concerned about, is that we're profaning the, the sanctuary of the Lord. And we're doing that by dealing treacherously with one another. We're doing that by, by de- being faithless to one another. A, a part of the problem of American church life is, is that it's become kind of just a spectator sport. I watched UK destroy Alabama yesterday. I observed that. I, I was a spectator. Didn't get involved. Didn't get any exercise out of it. But, but I, I watched it, and, and, I, and that's a way a lot of people kind of view church. They come, and they, they sit, they, they sing some of the songs, and they, they listen to the songs, and, and, and they bow their heads when we pray, and, and they listen to the sermon. But a lot of times, it's, it's kind of like watching a basketball game. It's, it's now, can we, can we give points to the singing and the songs chosen, and can we give points to the preacher or, or take away points from the preacher because... He didn't do such a great job. You know, it's more of a, a spectator and less evaluate than coming saying, Lord, Lord, change my heart. Lord, cleanse my heart. Lord, Lord, let me see your glory in ways that I never have. We do that, we defame the sanctuary of the Lord. He, he says you've done that by being faithless to one another. You've also done that by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. In verse 11, he says, you know, you, you, you come in and and you've dealt treacherously, it's an abomination, it's been committed in Israel and Jerusalem, because you married the daughter of a foreign god, of a foreign land. Now, that's not a racist statement. That's a religious statement. It's not that they were of a different race or nationality, it was that they worshipped an entirely different god. Listen, we're called to that same thing in, in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says, you know, what what... What does light have in common with darkness? And what does Baal have in common with with the things of God? You know, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And that goes for whether it's in a business relationship or marriage relationship. When you you enter into that, there's that covenant. And and, uh, there cannot be a covenant between light and darkness. There cannot be a covenant between the people of God and the false gods of this world. And he says, you've married a foreign god. You, you've forgotten the, the covenant wife of your youth, and you've turned and left her in order to find perhaps more excitement, perhaps be happier in a, in a, in a totally secular sort of way. But you've done this. You, you've turned your back on the covenant relationship and sought 
a relationship somewhere else. They were marrying a foreign daughter of a foreign god. They were divorcing their Israelite wives in order to have that marriage take place. And those were idolaters. Those were people who worshipped false gods. Those were people who wanted nothing to do with Yahweh, nothing to do with the truth. We make that analogy in our day, nothing to do with the gospel. Well, nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. They just want to be pleasured and happy and whatever it takes. That's what I'll go after. I, 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 wish, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time in counseling over the past 40 years. I've had a man and woman sit in my office and say, we're getting a divorce. And I say, why? Well, just not happy anymore. I just don't feel like this partner can make me feel good anymore. But I found somebody who can. Oh, really? Nine times out of ten, there's problems on both sides of that. But you see, the problem is understanding this covenant. Understanding this covenant. And understanding that God takes the covenant seriously. They've also engaged in violence, according to verse 16. Uh, uh, The English Standard Version translates verse 16 this way. It says, For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Again, that's the theme. Treacherously, faithlessness is what is a concern in the walk of the believer, whether in Malachi's day or in our own day. Now, now I realize we're on this subject this morning, and there are people here who have gone through divorce. I don't know the reasons of probably any of them. Don't, I don't have to, necessarily. But there are some principles I think that God's Word makes clear about why, I mean, we know that God hates it because it breaks the relationship. It breaks the covenant. It breaks the vow that has been given in a covenant relationship. But, but this is not an absolute verse that says, so there can be no divorce, and if there is divorce, then you're doomed for all of the rest of your life, and it's all over. Understand that. First thing you need to understand about the whole idea of biblically a divorce and marriage is that marriage is a sacred union between one man, one woman, and it's God's intention for that marriage to be a lifetime, to last a lifetime. That's God's intention. Now, if we lived in an unfallen world, if, if Adam and Eve had not violated the, the covenant of creation and fallen into sin and brought sin in the world, that would happen, I'm convinced. It would, it would, there would never be a breakup. There'd never be a, a violation. But Jesus made it clear in Mark 10 and in, in Matthew's gospel and, and, and Paul makes it clear in Ephesians and other places 
That, you know, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's to be a priority relationship, and it's to be a permanent relationship. That idea of cleaving is that you will hold on to one another for the rest of life through good and bad. That's why the marriage vow says, I take you for better and for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and all these other things, you know. It's because you're saying, I'm cleaving to this one, and that's God's intention to last a lifetime. Second thing about divorce that Scripture makes clear is that divorce is not always sinful. It's not always sinful. Matter of fact, in several places, even with Jesus, they came to him and said, well, Moses, Moses let them write a, a certificate of divorcement back in, in Deuteronomy, and they, they did that. And what, what's the, what does that have to say about it? Well, Jesus said, well, Moses did that because of the hardness of your hearts. The hardness of their hearts. You see, while every divorce is not sinful, every divorce is the product of sin. There's a difference there. Uh, Just like every sin that we do is caused because we are sinful by our nature. And when sin is involved, it, it breaks relationships if it's not repented of and dealt with sincerely and clearly. Divorce is a part of the fall. We need to understand that divorce is permitted, thirdly, but it's not required on the ground of sexual immorality. Uh, I think back to a staff member that I had back in the 80s. He fell into an adulterous relationship. He was my minister of music. He, uh, he came repentant. He came broken. And his wife was eight months pregnant. She was not very forgiving at that point, to be honest. And I sat and told her, I said, you know, you, you can divorce. You can, you've got grounds for a divorce. But you don't have to. And she looked at me, and because everybody had been saying to her, you can't leave, you can't leave, you've got to stay with him. You, 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 you made a vow to him, you've got to stay. You can't. But the Scripture gave, certainly gave her a permission to divorce at that point. But when I looked at her and I said, you can leave him, you can divorce him and, and, and be guiltless in this, but you don't have to. She went, because <sighs> she realized now she had a choice. And she chose to stay with him. And, and and he stayed in our church for two years and went through discipline and went through restoration and went through counseling within the church. And two years later, he took a, a part-time minister of music position, working a, a secular job. Now he's pastor of a church in South Georgia and doing great. Their family's doing great. Because she was permitted, but she wasn't required. Same thing with, with uh, you know, it's, it's uh, their situations where divorce is permissible, remarriage is also permissible in those situations. I think Paul makes that clear, 1 Corinthians, that if you are loosed because of a a biblical reason, then you're loosed, you're free. You're not bound to that person on that basis. And and we need to understand that, that God is a God of grace. 
Now, also understand there are a lot of divorces, and a lot of people in churches today, they're in divorces and in remarriages that were not biblical. They were because they're just not happy anymore, they don't make me feel good anymore, whatever. And all that happened. And, and I had somebody ask me a couple of years ago, said, you know, I, I realize now I, I didn't divorce biblically, and I left my wife. Should I divorce my present wife and go back to my old wife? I, thought, I figured he was just looking for an out. He wasn't a member of our church, by the way. And I said, no. No, if, if you're improperly divorced and remarried and, and Christians, you should stay as they are. But, you know, you need to repent. You need to acknowledge. I violated the covenant. I violated God's will. I violated God's purpose for my life. But I, but I come to repent before the Lord of that. And, and where possible, make some restitution. Doesn't mean you go back. Because you can't, according to the Scripture. But, but you can seek forgiveness there, and you should, to a harmed or a, a harmed partner. What Malachi is wanting us to see here is that covenant is important. That God takes it seriously, and we should take it seriously. What, what Malachi wants us to see here is not that, that we have this legalistic set of rules and do's and don'ts. If you do this, you're out. No, if you're in the new covenant, if you're, in, if you're in Christ, if you're in relationship with Christ, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't mean there ought not be some dealing with them in order to set you free from them, some confession, some repentance. But, but your, your sins are forgiven if you are in Christ. It's not a matter of God's going to say, you blew it on that when I'm done with you. He didn't do that. And let me tell you something. I am so grateful that he doesn't do that. So grateful. Because if he'd do it for that sin and that disobedience, he'd do it for any of them. But I'm thankful that in his new covenant, just like what, what Brother Todd read from this morning out of, out of Hebrews chapter 8, you know, I love to read this regularly in my own personal devotional time. Because I like to think about what it says. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel, with my people. And after those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws into their minds. I'll, put, I'll write them on their hearts. They, and I will be their God and they will be my people. You belong to him. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Not in the covenant they won't. Now, you still need to talk to people outside of the covenant and say you need to know the Lord. You need to know Christ and, and, and share the gospel with them. But, but within the covenant, you don't go up to somebody that's in the covenant community and say, hey, you need to know the Lord because all will know me. There's an intimacy. There's a relationship that's there. Like we'll talk about tonight in our class. It's, it's like marriage. All will know me from the least to the greatest of them. And I will be merciful to their iniquities. Which is another word for sin. I will be merciful to their sin. And I will remember their sins no more. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness when we violated the covenant. That's forgiveness when we've disobeyed. 
The key is, are you in relationship with him? And, and, and willing to say, Lord, how would you have me sort out some of this stuff that I've made a mess of? Listen, my prayer is that, that we at Grace Baptist Church will be a people who won't, who won't deal treacherously with one another, who won't deal faithful, faithlessly with one another, but who will love one another, who will exhort one another, the whole of the New Testaments in the, in the epistles about the church, that little phrase, one another, is over and over and over. That's that covenant. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Weep with one another. Rejoice with one another. Care for one another. I mean, I mean that's the... That's what the covenant's all about. It's all about one another under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It, it's knowing him as Lord, not just a savior, not just something that kind of gets you out of hell, but, but, but Lord, boss of my life. And then under that lordship, caring for one another. Being faithful to one another. Our God is a faithful God. And he calls us to faithfulness. And when we're not, as we repent, he is a forgiving God. And a cleansing God. And a God who builds us up to be his people. Yeah, there's a lot of myths. There's a lot of wrong thinking. There's a lot of sin. And where sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. Aren't you grateful for that? That, that yes, you are going to sin. And, and we'll categorize them, you know. And, oh, that's just a, that's a big sin, but my, his is a big sin. Mine's just a little sin. It's always that way. Theirs is big, mine's a little we're all going to sin. We're all going to be unfaithful at some time to one another or unfaithful to the Lord. But He is always faithful. Always faithful to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a glorious truth. Do you know that truth today? Have you, do you know the Christ that is the covenant bearer? The covenant sealer? The one who brings the covenant to us? If not, I invite you to Christ this morning. I invite you to trust Him. I invite you to ask Him to, to, to cleanse you of sin. And adopt you into the family of God. He is our covenant. Let's pray. Father.
by covenant you made us your own. By covenant you brought us into your family. And you want us to keep our covenants with one another. Our our covenants as a church body to one another. Our covenant to our husbands and our wives. Lord, you call us to be the same out there as we are in here. And Lord, I confess that's not always easy. But Lord, I ask you to I ask you to help us do that. Give us your grace to live in a world that really just doesn't understand. been blinded, many, by the enemy. Many are blind just in their own rebellion. Father, help us to be light in a dark world and shed the light of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.